Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, we have not one, but two Jessicas. But the, the, the first Jessica I'm introduced you to is Jessica Nelson. She is the director of inside sales at Sphera. Sphera is a risk management platform focused on environmental health, safety, and sustainability. And then we have another Jess, my co-host, Jess Kleck, an enterprise sales leader here at SalesLoft. Welcome, Jess. Hello. And welcome, Jessica. Hello. The topic for today is going to be one we have not yet covered on the Hey Salespeople podcast, which is closing out your quarter, which is great because they uh, both Jess and Jessica lead sales teams and are hyper-focused on doing that. Before we get there, Jessica, I'd love to learn a little more about you. And I think a good way to get to know people is to know what is the first thing in their life that they ever remember selling? Oh, boy, that's a that's a good question. Okay, so if I think back at really trying to sell something to someone, I think the first thing was I grew up on the East Coast and I can remember sitting in New York and convincing my dad that I needed a higher allowance based on an article that was in, I, I, I don't know if it was like the New Yorker or something, but it was, you know, these duties equal this pay. And I had to work really hard to be like, listen, I'm, I'm doing these things. So I, I think that based on this, you're going to have to give me some money. Data-driven selling at its finest. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's super clever. Um, well, great. Yeah, what, actually, Jess, what's the first thing you remember selling? I feel like I've always been selling, but one memory that comes to mind that my mom and I were just talking about this weekend is my dad had won a sales trip when I was about six or seven and we flew to Hawaii. And I remember on the last day I had been, well, actually the entire trip, I had been admiring this pink polar bear that had a lei and a grass skirt on in like the gift shop. I was obsessed with it. And I had spent all week like trying to sell this bear to my dad. And it was, I guess at the time, pretty expensive. He said no. So I recruited like his peers to pressure him (laughs) to buy me the bear. And I did come home with the bear. I do think my dad lost respect for me. (laughs) Well, you were building consensus, right? It was team selling at its finest at an early age. Absolutely. I, I saw I saw the weak spot and I went directly to his female peers who pressured him. I still have the bear though. Oh, so that's gonna be my question. Do you have the bear? So that's great. I do, I do. Yeah. It's kind of like it's like my prize, my my first sales. <laughs> it's a super special memory too, I I'm sure. Jess Clack, you just mentioned that you have a parent in sales. Jessica, I'm wondering how, how you found your way into sales. I kind of fell into it actually. I Went to school for event planning, hospitality, thought I was going to run a restaurant and had a friend who got a job in sales. And she said, you know what? They, they pay like 50 cents more an hour than event planning. 14 years later, here I am. Well, I I do see from your LinkedIn profile, that was a fortuitous switch that you moved over to career builder and spent almost eight years there working your way up from account manager into senior account executive roles. So I'm going to presume that you have frameworks for the types of ways that you inspect deals at quarter close. I'm I'm curious, maybe start with Jessica. What are some of the the specific things that you like to probe on at the end of the quarter? Yeah, I mean, I I think 
the big ones for us are, do they actually have the signing power? That's something that we end up running into a lot where we have people who are really excited to get the product. They're excited to move forward with the project. And then we realize they aren't the one who can sign at all. And it's going to have to go through maybe two or three levels of legal on their side before it can even potentially get signed versus even being thought about signed. So, so I think that's one, right? Do they, are they the person who has the authority to actually sign? And if they're not, have they been through this process so they know what to do on their side internally? Because the answer to that is also quite often no. And if they don't know how to get it done on their side, I, I can definitely re- recall the first time. I actually think it was when we moved forward with Salesloft was the first purchase I made at Spira. And I didn't know the process. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, like, we're good. Like, we're going to move forward. And it's, oh, wait, there's two other steps on my side internally before we can even get that done. It's fun selling to salespeople since I'm on the ops and strategy side. I have people who sell to me. So I'm more in buying mode than in selling mode. And I sometimes they're speaking in salesy gobbledygook. And I just say, look, you can just ask me the questions directly. You want to know who my economic buyer is? You want to know who my technical buyer is? You want to know, you know, whatever budget authority. What do you want? Bant? You want you want medic? What do you want? I got him. I got him right here for you. It's a lot easier to, to deal with that. Um, Jess, Clack, what would you add? Have we solved a business problem? Right. And and our, our products might be different. But when I'm really poking holes in deals, it's because I don't think we're solving a business problem or solving for the business outcome. I think we're saying they need sales engagement, which as we all know on this call, everybody does. But are we solving the business problem that sales engagement can do? And so I poke holes on that. I also poke holes specifically the budget piece is huge for us. Are we at someone that can create budget? And the other piece is, have we met all of the obligations around security, compliance, those types of things? I don't know if that's the same for, for your business, Jessica, but a lot of times we see IT coming in at the late stage if we haven't engaged with them and really throwing their deal off. You know, yes, we love selling to salespeople, but we've seen more often than not now that the salespeople are not the buyers, the IT folks actually are. So if we are not engaged there, then that's a big red flag. Yeah. And I'll say that's definitely one we run into. So who are the other people that could come in and stop this from a compliance side? That's definitely a big thing. Are they good once they pass that internally to actually get set up? Nothing can shut a deal down quicker than procurement saying nope or IT saying absolutely not. So yeah, yeah. And they're, they're showstoppers sometimes. Yep. I'm curious, so your you poke holes, how is that, how are you doing that today? Um, I'm assuming, you know, pre-COVID, you know, you'd have one-on-ones in person and, and team meetings. What are you doing today that helps you identify the activity and making sure that the deals are really where they should be? Yeah, I, I think it's similar but different, right? So the one-on-ones are just virtual instead. So it's walking through what are the conversations you've had? What is the plan walk me backwards from this is their execution date. What are the events that lead up to that that are going to get this done on time? And and just looking at what are the activities you've had? What's your next scheduled conversation? What are the conversations you've had riding along or listening in to the calls that they're having within those deals? Um, You know, have the call in the background, not necessarily have to be on the call 
and still be able to say, okay, did you hear what they said at, you know, minute four where they said, oh, well, I have to do this. And they'll be like, no, I miss it. Okay, go back, listen to it again and tell me like where this deal might be off track. You just mentioned the ride along, which is a perfect opening for the question I was dying to ask you. What is the role of a sales manager on deals at the end of the quarter? That's like a trick question, right? Because it (laughs) should be the same as any other place, right? If you don't know about the deal at the start of the quarter, knowing about it at the end of the quarter isn't going to help it anymore. It's just going to be, okay, well, now I know more about this deal and I could have helped it two months ago. But at this point, I have it forecasted to close and now I'm just learning about it. So I, I think you need to know about the deals from a manager perspective from the beginning, right? And at least have a good sense of, is this actually a Q3 deal? Is this a Q4 deal? Is this a Q1 deal? Where Where is this going to land? Is this actually a deal at all? I, I love, I, I think your perspective on you, you're the same, if, if not actually more on top of the deal, the earlier the deal is, because that's when you as a manager can have the most impact. Are there times where you do feel the need to step in? And I say that because I, I'm just Clack is smiling. If you guys could only see the the video we have going, because I do very specifically remember listening to a call that she did where it's part of the challenger framework, right? The, ch- the client truly needed a nudge. They knew they needed it, but they were just so much internal bureaucracy and politics that they just sort of needed a little help. Are, are there times where you will get in and intervene, you know, on behalf of the salesperson? And in what are those situations where you do get involved? It looks different for every deal and for every salesperson because there's situations where they know what to say, they know what the nudge needs to be. And if you empower the salesperson to do that, maybe you send them a message and say, you know, did did you hear that insight that they just dropped? Like, are you listening? And then we have a good, I don't know, it's not like a code word, but if I'm riding along on a call, the reps know that they could ask the person to repeat it again. Oh, can you repeat yourself? And then I'll know that they don't know what to say. And I'll give them, like, I'll message them something just to try to help them get through it. I mean, at the end of the day, and this is one thing that I was thinking about with the career builder, it's one of my amazing managers, Patrick McCullough, he was great, said to me, this is your pizza shop, right? The whole philosophy behind sales is this is your business to run. Like you can sell one pizza and it's going to pay your rent for the month. You can sell a hundred pizzas. That's your decision. And you just tell me as a manager how you need me to support you. So I, I try to relay that thought process to the team, right? This is your business. You should treat it as a business. And when you need my help, I'm here to support you. I'm here to give you what I think would help either move the deal forward or tell you this deal is no good. Let's move on. But I'm not here to cook your pizzas for you. I love love that. Jess, you probably remember the deal that I'm I'm talking about. Why in that situation did you feel the need to intervene as opposed to empowering your rep to do that? Uh, I think it's the mama bear in me, (laughs) a protective quality that comes out when I've seen my reps do incredible work. Uh, They've done all of the right steps. They've made concessions and they're just at the point where the customer does not want to be held accountable, but they don't want to damage their relationship. I'm always happy to step in and have the hard conversation if they don't want to. And I don't think in that particular case, it wasn't that my rep did not want to have the conversation. It was, 
at wit's end. And I just wanted to give that nudge. I think what I did though in the call was specifically call out every single thing that my rep had done. And when they heard it from somebody else, when they heard like, oh, wow, yeah, okay. They have really been a good provider to us. They've really been a good partner. Um, it just sort of gives clarity. Um, I agree though. I, I, I always lean towards empowerment of my team and reps and they are all extremely capable. I think when I step in, it's because I am able to have a more direct conversation without it damaging the overall partnership and relationship. Bad cop, bad cop. Yes. I, I hate that phrase, bad cop, because you're not bad. You're just direct cop. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that. One other question I had about end of quarter is I remember one of my employers, this was many moons ago, they really prided themselves on telling these hero stories to inspire people at the end of the quarter. And this one story I remember was something to the effect of the rep goes to the hospital because the economic buyer had whatever sprained their ankle and was in the emergency room getting x-rays to go get the signature. You know, I, I find it to be horrific. But I'm curious what you think about like the hero story for end of quarter closes. Is that something that you, Jessica, like to do you like those hero stories or do you try to avoid them? I think I take the opposite philosophy, right? Where I, I try to paint the picture similar to the story I said about Christmas, right? That's not fun. You don't want to wait till the end of the quarter. You don't want your entire being and how your month, your quarter is going to finish on that last minute. That's not fun for anyone. I'm a big advocate of front-loading the month, right? Get everything done early. Pretend that your quota is the 15th or, you know, early, and then you will not have that quota chasing you for the rest of the month, the rest of the quarter. And the relaxation of that will make you see the good deals versus the bad deals, the things you should be doing versus things that are just sucking your time away. I... I mean, it's great when deals get done, whether it's the first day or the last day, but go after your number, get it done quick, set yourself up for early success, and then you'll always just be ahead of the game. And, and I'm sure you measure pacing, right, throughout the quarter. When you see a rep that's not on pace, what are some of the things you do to sort of help them get back on track? I think one thing that we do very well from a cultural and just from a pacing perspective is we look at that as a team every week. So every week, the entire team. Um, so I have a couple of groups of account executives, a couple of groups of SDRs. They all come together on their side of the globe and they talk about their numbers, right? So the, this is where I am. This is where I should be from a pacing perspective. This is what worked this week. This is what I'm going to work on next week to get on track or stay on track. So we use level 11 for that. So it, it just tracks and it tells them exactly where they're at. So they always know, am I on pace? What activity should I do to get on pace? Yeah. Transparency is key. Yeah. As the, you know, as the end of quarter draws nearer, I your time becomes more precious in some ways. I'm wondering, are there things that you feel that you have to put aside at the end of the quarter that you wish you had more time for? That's probably the biggest challenge as in a leadership role, because if you start putting things aside for end of quarter, end of month, then they're always to the side. I really try to keep 
the team on the same routine. We do some standing enablement sessions. We do some things that are just every week, right? We forecast every week. And end of quarter is no different than first week of the quarter, first week of the year, right? Those are the things that help you every week. Those are the things that help you with consistency. So pulling things out or changing, I don't see long-term how that benefits anyone. Um, And it just gets you less consistent, right? So even training and enablement, you continue that even during the last week of the quarter. Yep. Amazing. I don't think I've ever been anywhere where we did not stop training and enablement. The Certainly the last probably two weeks of a quarter, it was pretty standard. So that's that's quite impressive. It's an hour out of your week. You have 39 other hours. If you really can't get to your target number in those other 39 hours, it probably wasn't that one hour of enablement. It was probably something else. I think it's fear, right, that causes sales leadership to do that is I can say, right, I mean, talking to enablement peers, they do not want to be the one that was the reason why you didn't make the quarter and they would just get the finger pointed to them. But I I think it's a testament to the leadership in the organization to say this is important. And that and to your point, that one hour is not going to make a difference. At the end of the quarter, everyone's looking to close deals. Then you start the quarter and the pipeline is dry. So I'm curious what you do to ensure that the next quarter pipeline remains healthy, you know, as you get into that last couple of weeks of the of the prior quarter. Every week I look at the discoveries held, opportunities created, right? Week over week, it's another thing. It's just consistency. So the deals you're creating today are probably not deals for this quarter. They're very likely deals for next quarter, quarter um, the quarter after. So we're pretty tuned in as far as like from a sales org perspective into what What's the pipeline today? What's the pipeline for future? And then every week it's just, okay, what are the opportunities you created? What are the meetings you had? What's net new versus what's ongoing? So that's that's part of their metrics that they, they look at every week as well. I'm curious your philosophy on whether it's appropriate to quote unquote create urgency at the end of the quarter, right? All the sales pundits talk about you should create urgency with these techniques like you know, the equivalent of the B2C space if it's a limited time offer that will explode at the end of the quarter. What's your approach towards uh, different ways of creating urgency to get deals closed? I am not necessarily an advocate of the coupon method. You know, I I definitely see that it works in in some scenarios. For us, it, it doesn't really drive any type of urgency. Most of the things that we're doing are project related and the goal is, is that the salesperson has really built out that timeline from the beginning of the sales process. So creating a fake urgency at that point where you already have agreed on dates, right? This is when this is going to happen in your organization based on that. You know, we, we're going to walk backwards into what your go live date is and, and what that looks like. So it somewhat could chip away at the relationship between the rep and the client if you start creating a fake urgency. I mean, it's one thing if they've committed to something in 30 days, right? And you're, you're trying to speed that up by a day or two, but trying to pull something in where you know that their project is Q1 and you're like, well, I'm going to give you 10% off if you do it this quarter. I don't love it. It doesn't go over well. I think in enterprise selling in particular, right? That doesn't, it doesn't really float. But and I, I, your approach of, hey, let's, let's put together a mutual plan first. Let's walk backwards from your key date and then those dates become their dates, not your dates, right? So uh, that creates its own urgency that's not artificial in, in any way. Okay, I just had uh, one more question for you, which is what is a challenge that you're most focused on right now in sales or sales strategy? 
Yeah, I think the biggest challenge that we're really focused on is keeping consistency between our different teams and just making sure that we're all speaking the same language and that we're all doing the same things consistently day in and day out. What do you do in order to make that that consistency happen? Um, I, I think that the enablement we're doing with the teams is a big piece of it, but then being bought in from the top level down. So knowing that everyone from our CRO down to our brand new SDRs or account executives are all using the same terminology and marching to the same drum. Awesome. Such a blast talking to you. Jessica, if people want to learn more about Sphera or opportunities on your team or you know get to know you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can definitely check out our website, www.sphera.com, like a sphere, but with an A. We have a ton of opportunities on my team, on the field team, all across the globe. So please check it out. Um, or feel free to link in with me. I am the only Jessica Nelson at Sphera. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jessica. Great to meet you. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. Peter Lepinto is our editor. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.